And welcome. It's 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. There's a lot of twos going on. And thank you for joining us for the 132nd episode of the Rock and Roll Shrink Radio Show here on Blog Talk Radio. Special thanks to our host, NDB Media. I'm Casey Shapiro, and with me tonight is Dr. Stephen Mathis, a.k.a. the Rock and Roll Shrink. We'll be taking calls from our listeners all evening during the show at 914-338-0314. You can also follow along in our live chat room on blogtalkradio.com as the show is happening. Before we begin, a couple quick disclaimers. This show does not constitute a doctor-client relationship, nor legal or medical representation of any kind. Also, the views expressed on this show are those of Dr. Mathis and Ms. Shapiro, and are not an official stance on behalf of the psychological community or its peer vetting or regulatory bodies. And now, a topic-relevant bit of music played by Dr. Mathis himself. Take it away, Doc.
as always, thank you very much for that. And if you don't mind, please let us know the name of the song and the artist and its relevance to tonight's topic. So that was kind of a deep cut. It's always been one of my uh, favorite acoustic tunes by the Beatles. Uh, That is off the White, the so-called White Album that they did in uh, 68. And it's a Paul McCartney song, even though all their stuff is McCartney and Lennon or Lennon McCartney, just, you know, by prior arrangement early on in their career. But it's essentially a Paul McCartney song, kind of like Blackbird is, uh, which is also off the White Album. Uh, And it's a song called Mother Nature's Son. And since we're talking about uh, living healthy and according to nature and uh, fewer preservatives and less stressful lifestyle, I thought this would be a great little intro. Ah, okay. I see how it all plugs together. That's that's cute. Okay. So um, as Dr. Mathis mentioned, tonight's episode is entitled Out of the Blue, Blue Zones, Health and Longevity, with a nod to ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. And we will discuss this topic in a moment. So before we begin, let's first go to the Rock and Roll Shrink Recalls, a moment of rock music trivia stories as recounted by Dr. Mathis, if you would, sir. So in keeping with my last commentary, I thought I would talk about the guitars of Paul McCartney, uh, who most people know him as the bassist and vocalist and uh, most prolific songwriter, along with his uh, writing partner, John Lennon, of course, of the Beatles. But Pancarni played a, a lot of guitar as well and played a lot of guitar parts on uh, records that people thought uh, Harrison was playing on or Lennon was playing on or whatever. At any rate, uh, I want to talk about both the acoustic and the electric guitars that uh, Paul has played over the years and some of his favorites. Uh, so the first time you saw McCartney playing a uh, acoustic guitar was when he was playing this left-handed acoustic on the Ed Sullivan Show back in the day uh, when they played yesterday. And even though McCartney, uh, unlike myself, <laughs> is not an addictive gearhead, uh, <laughs> what he did do was uh, kind of co-op. Uh, with the Gibson folks, the making of his uh, 1964 Epiphone uh, Texan, which was an acoustic guitar, because back in the day, uh, Gibson owned Epiphone. Epiphone started out as an independent uh, builder, and because they were such a fierce competitor in certain areas to Gibson, Gibson bought them out. So at this point, Gibson owned uh, Epiphone, and he had them uh, construct a Texan acoustic guitar for him, uh, not, uh, around 1964. Uh, later on, of course, he's played a plethora uh, of acoustics, including ovations when he was with uh, Wings and Martins. Uh, the Blackbird, which is also off of uh, the White Album, uh, was played entirely, and actually every acoustic song on that was played entirely on a Martin D28. Uh, <clears throat> typically when uh, McCartney uses uh, acoustic strings, he uses the Ernie Balls, uh, regular, and the electrics, Ernie Balls uh, strings. And I think on the electrics, he uses 10 to 20, uh, 10 to 42 gauge, if I'm not mistaken, but don't quote me on that one. Yeah, a little bit heavier than I use, and heavier than uh, Billy Gibbons, who uses 008s. And they had, I mean, excuse me, 007s. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I call them the James Bond strings. And, uh, they actually had the string company actually had to make those because they don't make strings that light, and they you know, people got very excited 
when they found out that uh, Billy Gibbons had special dance strings, so they eventually made them and sold them to the public, so you can now get them uh, over the counter. You, too, can play double of sevens. <laughs> um, Electric-wise, uh, McCartney played, when he's not playing bass, and we're talking electric guitar here, because basses, he's predominantly uh, plays either Rickenbackers or Hofners, uh, and both German basses. Uh, and I love both of those basses, too. They're the bomb. Uh, but in terms of electric guitars, he plays um, four or five uh, Fender-made guitars, uh, Stratocaster, of course, uh, the one everybody plays and the one I despise the most because of where the controls are. And it's like I told uh, a person at one of my con- at the conference last week that I presented at, uh, who's a guitar player, and he goes, what's your favorite guitar? And I said, which one? I have quite a number of them. He goes, yeah, I just love my Strat, and I kind of made a face. And he goes, you don't like Strats? And I'm like, no, I hate where, the, where the, uh, the knobs are. I said, but honestly, it's not the fault of the guitar. It's the fault of the player. <laughs> he started laughing, which is true. Uh, but be that as it may, McCartney plays Strats. Uh, he also plays Telecasters. He also plays Jaguars. Jazzmasters and Fender Mustangs, which are the short scale neck that they started out making for student guitar players. But uh, a lot of folks like those guitars, including me. Uh, in terms of the Gibsons, he predominantly plays Les Pauls and SGs, and then also plays, again, an old school Epiphone, 1962, when it was still being. Um, made by Gibson, not these things made in uh, another country, which I'm remaining aimless to be politically correct. <laughs> uh, and the particular model he likes to play is the ES230TD, uh, which is the same guitar he used on songs like Paperback Rider, uh, Drive My Car, and Taxman. He actually plays the uh, solo guitar part on Taxman. That's not George Harrison. George is trying to come up with a part, and Paul says, hey, I kind of got a cool part if you don't mind if I play it. And George is like, no, knock yourself out. And he did. And he still plays that Epiphone Casino uh, today along with the other guitars I mentioned. When I've seen Paul, he's played a lot, mostly uh, when he's played guitar, he's played mostly the Les Pauls. Uh, the, the Casino is a, like a, a semi-hollow body like the one that... Uh, John Lennon played the, the blonde one with the dog-eared uh, P90 pickups. Those guitars sound amazing. So anyway, that's the uh, six-string guitars of Paul McCartney, uh, both acoustic and electric to date. Wow. Okay, thank you for that. <laughs> I just thought it was a nice segue, given what I played for the uh, song, so... Yes, yes, good. And also, you know, this may be a silly question, but I know how you are with the news. Did you catch that Sir Paul just recently had his 80th birthday celebration? No, I did not, actually. Yes, so so this is extremely timely because earlier this month he had a whole big frou-frou on TV and a concert and all this bit that he pulled out. Yeah, because it's his 80th birthday. In fact, let's say happy birthday, Sir Paul, and thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, actually, I think yeah. his birthday is officially either today or yesterday. Oh, good. Well, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, because that was one of my seems so far away. <laughs> oh, oh, with the dad jokes. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you very much. Note. Please, may I have another? <laughs> okay. Thank you. So um, thanks for the stories, 
And uh, again, we will take calls from our listeners and questions in the online chat room throughout the rest of the evening until around midnight. It's only quarter after 11 right now, so we got a lot of time if you want to talk. Please feel free to give us a call. Again, the number is 914-338-0314. All righty. So the topic is out of the blue, blue zones, health, and longevity. So the phenomenon that we refer to as the blue zones started as a National Geographic project on tracking longevity back in 2004 and simply just continued pursuing common traits. Um, Blue zones are regions of the world thought to have a higher than usual number of people who live much longer than average, identified by Gianni Pez. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. He's Italian. Um, Michel Poulet and Dan Butner. The concept of blue zones grew out of demographic work done by Gianni Pez and Michael Poulin, Michel Poulin, pardon me, uh, published in 2004 by the journal Experimental Gerontology, who identified Sardinia's neuroprovence as the region with the highest concentration of male centarians, in, in other words, people that live to 100 years old. As the two men zeroed in on the cluster of villages with the highest longevity, they began referring to the area as the blue zone. And I have to admit, I actually did not find any notes as to why they picked blue. Maybe it's buried somewhere in the wiki, but I couldn't find it. Um, Building on this demographic work, Dan Butner pinpointed four additional locations, uh, which were similar. Uh, Okinawa, Japan, Nicoya in Costa Rica, Ikaria in Greece, and Loma Linda in California, United States. Blue zones support the idea of healthy eating, active lifestyles, and community involvement. Now, I need you guys to understand something, and I probably harp on it a little too much in the script, but you know that we have labored very hard with the reputation of this show to not be like a psychology article in Cosmo at the grocery store checkout. You know, we like to have things vetted. If we find a peer paper on the NIH site, even better. So we don't often cover stuff that's not crunchy scientifically. I need you guys to know that that there's going to be some of that, but that's not why we posted it. We're posting it in spite of that. Okay, it's not a fully vetted scientific study, but there are some recommendations and points it makes that regardless of whether it is pseudoscience or hard science or a combination thereof, could provide benefits for those who follow them. And we're going to talk about what those are tonight. So we will discuss first the history and origin of the Blue Zones theory, then the structure and suggestions for life changes and why we should pursue those, counterpoints and critiques and what parts matter, and then conclusions, closing remarks, and final suggestions. And I'm going to check in at this point with Dr. Mathis, but especially I want to put to you the question, um, since you suggested this topic, would you mind taking a minute to elaborate specifically how this is connected to mental health? Because it sounds like we're talking physical stuff, and a lot of our listeners know that we tend to espouse that these things are connected. So could I get you to expand on that a little for us? Sure. Um, Actually, we're talking about both uh, physiological and psychological health because the body is a closed system. So what impacts one impacts the other. You can't eat like horse manure and have crappy nutrients and 
vitamins uh, running around your body and have clear thoughts because that's what goes to produce the neural uh, chemicals in your brain. So it's it's both. Uh, the Blue Zone stuff came out of, as you said, uh, sort of the Nat Geo project, which also came out much earlier research. It was done in the 80s and uh, 90s that was started actually by the cardiologists uh, working on the so-called China study that they published in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, that really caught on around the mid-90s. And it was done um, by two cardiology people who were both Midwesterners who grew up on dairy and red meat. And one of them was actually working in the Cleveland Clinic uh, Hospital, which was across the street from where I did my internship. And they were both astonished that no matter how much medicine they gave or these heart patients and all the stuff they did, they were still dying. And they were wondering why people in China uh, and in certain other places, uh, particularly in the outlying areas and villages, were living to be 100, 120 with very little, if any, dementia, uh, very little cancer, chronic illnesses, that kind of stuff, heart attack, stroke, diabetes, any of that stuff. So they went in and lived with them and studied them and looked at what they ate. And the, the short version of this is they found out that their diet consisted predominantly of fruits, grains, uh, veggies, and nuts. They ate very little, if any, meat. Meat was either done very rarely or sparingly in small amounts, and most of the meat they ate was seafood. They did not eat a lot of cows and chickens and lambs and pigs and that sort of thing. Um, and when they did, they ate very small portions of any of that kind of stuff, and it, most of the meals consisted predominantly of uh, fruits, nuts, grains, vegetables. Uh, and most of these places also uh, coupled a very uh, light consumption of wine with them, which, as most people now know, has resveratrol in it, which is great for your blood. Now, you can get the same effect if you eat a boatload of grapes, particularly red grapes, but resveratrol is also in black grapes and green grapes. So that is kind of how this started when they, they said, well, let's look at certain places where people do this, and I wonder if there's something about the climate or the longitude latitude, or let's look at the, the, the lifestyles. The other thing that the people did... Uh, in these so-called blue zones, and I don't know how the name came up either, so you got me on this one. Uh, it's that people had a, a, for lack of a better term, uh, a live-work balance, which we are in the so-called civilized countries are in <laughs> sore need of, particularly in this country where we have a gross imbalance of that. Uh, so when you combine lifestyle uh, you know, not working yourself to death, taking time for yourself, carving out time for yourself, friends and family, uh, social, you know, appropriate socializing, uh, moderate to light alcohol consumption, and eating you know, 90% of your food intake being nuts, grains, uh, fruit, veggies, and no additives, none of this MSG, none of this other crap that all the you know, uh, civilized countries do. These folks are living a lot longer. They're both physically and mentally in general healthier and more resilient than the civilized countries. And that's kind of what started all this. So that's why I suggested it. Because obviously all of us are not going to move to a blue zone. Uh, and if we did, they would probably not be blue anymore because we'd try to industrialize them. <laughs> um, you know, no, no lies detected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and now they're gray zones because all the smoke's in the sky. But <laughs> no more blue skies, I guess, right? <laughs> but, uh, 
<laughs> yes. Um, but the, what I wanted to talk tonight about a bit about uh, once we get through all the, the crunchy stuff is to talk about how those of us who live in a more populated, quote-unquote, industrialized, civilized uh, society can create blue zone-like lifestyles uh, for ourselves to minimize some of the uh, deteriorational effects of the lifestyles that a lot of us lead. Yeah, that that's what I was hoping was was yeah. going to be the reason behind it. Yeah, that's so. exactly that's exactly right. Because if you have a good, you know, we you know from previous shows, and you know this yourself because you're not a, an an intelligent individual, that if you have depression for long periods of time. Uh, depression not only slows your body down, it slows your brain down, it confuses your thought, it suppresses helper T cells and your immune system, which makes you more uh, likely to have opportunistic diseases, which then secretes more bad cholesterol, which clogs your uh, arteries and veins up, which gets like oxygen to the brain, which causes more depression, and yada, 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 yada. So Ooh. you cannot separate the two out. The mind and the body are inexorably intertwined. And to quote uh, George Harrison, you know that what you eat you are and what is sweet now turns so sour. <laughs> and oh, quote Hippocrates, well yeah, that's uh, uh, Savoy Truffle, also of the White Album. Oh, yes. Uh, and my other We're favorite quote the whole quote White is, Album tonight. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're all getting white and clean here, you know. What happened to oh. blue, right? Um the Beatles actually did have a blue album when they did a uh, they did a record of I don't know about eight or ten years ago. They uh, you know after the fact the record company published uh, a compilation records and one of the compilation records was blue, which I thought was interesting. Uh, one was also red. At any rate, um, I also liked the Hippocrates quote, uh, the father of medicine, uh, who once said, "Let your food be medicine and your medicine be food," which is why I haven't had a patient on medication in thirty years. Gotcha. So there you okay. go. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. So with that, um, let's go ahead and dive on into this. So I want to open w- with the history and origin of the Blue Zones theory. And it it's kind of interesting. It, think of it as a work in progress. I think that's the best way to look at these. So we want to begin with an overview of how the term and idea of Blue Zones came to be. Start, and it's just back to 2004. It's not that long ago. So we also want to speak about the empiricism of this topic that's not devoid of scientific merit, and it shares many solid and proven adages with other health philosophies. We just need to be clear that up to now it hasn't been fully vetted scientifically. And like Dr. Mathis explained earlier, it it doesn't really matter for the purpose that we're using it. We're really just looking at the things that they suggest, and they as we'll talk about again later on in section three, they, the things that they suggest are not weird or unique. They share similarities with lots and lots of other health philosophies that are rooted in basic principles that we want to highlight. So we feel there's merit and benefit in the precepts prescribed by this theory, which is why we're explaining them, pardon my hiccups, and sharing many recommendations with our listeners in spite of the science being somewhat premature. So just for reference, these are the short biographies of the three researchers who were involved in the original study. Uh, Johnny Pez, maybe Pei, but I I honestly don't know, and I didn't have any way to find out. 
uh, MD and PhD. Uh, Dr. Pez is a senior researcher in the Department of Clinical and Experimental Medicine at the University of Sassari, Italy. He graduated in medicine and received a PhD in medical statistics from the University of Pavia, Italy. He started to study Sardinian longevity in 96 and was the first to report in 99 on the exceptional longevity of the population living in the mountains of Sardinia. The region was later determined to be one of the original Blue Zones region. Since 2000, he has been working in collaboration with the demographer, a person who does demographics, uh, Professor Michel Poulin of the Université Catholique de Louvain in Belgium. His work focuses on nutritional and lifestyle factors associated with a long life. So this is his specialty. Uh, Dr. Pez has published more than 100 scientific articles in peer-reviewed journals and is co-author with Professor Poulin of the book Longevity and Identity in Sardinia. The discovery of the Sardinian Blue Zone in 2014, published by Franco Angeli Press. Now, Michel Poulin um, was born in Belgium in the 40s. Uh, was originally skilled in astrophysics at University of, I, I actually don't know how to pronounce this, L-I-Accent-Grave-E-G-E, -E. Um, Liege, it, that may not be correct, but that's, that's the name of the university he, that he got this from. He received a PhD in demography at University of Louvain, and as a demographer, he has specialized in international migration statistics and longevity studies. Currently emeritus professor at University of Louvain, he is also senior researcher at the Estonian Institute for Population Studies at Tallinn University, which is in Estonia. And then last, certainly not least, Dan Butner, who was born in the 60s. He's an American National Geographic Fellow and New York Times bestselling author. He's an explorer, educator, author, producer, storyteller, and public speaker. He co-produced an Emmy Award-winning documentary and holds three Guinness records for endurance cycling. Interesting. So I guess he's probably practicing what he preaches. Uh, Butner is the founder of Blue Zones LLC. And I don't, I think I mentioned this elsewhere, but just for clarity, um, I, to be transparent with you guys is, so that you don't feel like this is something nefarious. Um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has bought the rights to Blue Zones LLC and we're going to talk a little bit about how church practices enter into the statistics because they account for the presence of the town in California that's on the list because of habits that church members espouse. So I just wanted you guys to know that the connection isn't anything freaky. It doesn't change anything we're going to share with you tonight, but I didn't want you to think I was trying to be sneaky. So there you go. There's a study paper published within the NIH library that's a main source for this theory of, of blue zones. Um, now, this was in the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine, a JLM. It's a peer-reviewed bi-monthly resource for practitioners seeking to incorporate lifestyle practices into clinical medicine. AJLM provides commentaries and research reviews on nutrition and diet, physical activity, behavior change. As Dr. Mathis said, these things are all tied up. Uh, cardiovascular disease, obesity, anxiety and depression, sleep problems, metabolic disease, and more. This journal is a member of the Committee on Publication Ethics, COPE, and 
it is the official journal of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And we mention this to reiterate something that's come up during recent research. When I first ran across this, it startled me. So I wanted to let you guys know, again, because we usually are fairly meticulous about these things. Um, our listeners need to examine sources or what we call receipts in detail by topic or study to be certain whatever hard scientific merit something may possess. They are respected journals, and I just recently found this out. Dr. Mathis probably are new, but there are journals that are respected as a journal that for various reasons I don't understand and we don't have time to get into, they allow the publication of certain papers that don't necessarily model proper scientific vetting or methodologies, what we usually hold out for here. So in other words, seeing it published at a length from NIH or a similar entity is not enough of a guarantee of the veracity of the paper or topic. So just keep an eye out and don't just go, oh, I clicked on it and it's at NIH, so it must be perfect. Um, don't do that. I probably was guilty of that for a while, and I learned better, so now I'm teaching you guys. So we try as much as possible on the show to use vetted sources or at minimum to inform our readers when we don't have one. So with that caveat out of the way, let's move on. So the Blue Zones began as a National Geographic project in the mid-2000s studying longevity around the world. After some compelling findings in several areas, a more concentrated study was done of the traits and practices of the population in these regions. And this paper, which was the, the main one that was at NIH about this study, Blue Zones, Lessons from the World's Longest Lived. Guest editor was Beth Freights, uh, Beth Freights, MD, uh, Dan Butner, BA, and Sam Skemp, BA, who's not part of the trio that I named earlier. Uh, American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine, 2016, September to October, and so on. Okay, the abstract reads, What began as a National Geographic expedition led by Dan Butner to uncover the secrets of longevity involved into the discovery of the five places around the world where people consistently live over 100 years old, dubbed the Blue Zones. Dan and his team of demographers, scientists, and anthropologists were able to distill the evidence-based common denominators of these blue zones into nine commonalities that they call the Power Nine. They have since taken these principles into communities across the United States, working with policymakers, local businesses, schools, and individuals to shape the environments of the Blue Zones project communities. And that means United States communities that they're trying to teach these methods to. What has been found is that putting the responsibility of curating a healthy environment on an individual does not work. But through policy and environmental changes, the Blue Zone Project communities have been able to increase life expectancy, reduce, reduce obesity, and make the healthy choice the easy choice for millions of Americans. Next, I reference the Danish twin study that was done by... Uh, A.M. Herskind, M. McGew, N.V. Holm. I'm not sure if TIA is initials or if that was standing for something. Uh, last name is Sorensen. Uh, B. Harvlad and J.W. Vopel. The Heritability of Human Longevity, a population-based study of 2,872 Danish twins 
born between 1870 and 1900. Uh, that was in the Journal of uh, Human Genetics in 96. And this established that only about 20% of how long the average person lives is dictated by our genes, where the other 80% is dictated by our lifestyle. In 2004, Dan Butner, CEO of Blue Zones LLC, was determined to uncover the specific aspects of lifestyle and environment that led to longevity. By teaming up with National Geographic and the National Institute on Aging, Dan and his team found the five demographically confirmed, geographically defined areas with the highest percentage of centurions. And uh, I'm going to name them in a minute, so I'm not going to parenthetically name them now ahead of the game because we're going to do it in two more minutes. These five areas were located using epidemiological data, sorry, that's a rough word, (laughs) statistics, birth certificates, and other research. These areas were dubbed blue zones, where people reach age 100 at 10 times greater rates than in the United States. Once these areas were established, they sent in a team of anthropologists, demographers, epidemiologists, (laughs) and researchers. There you go. Oh, was that closer? Yeah. That's good. I had to say that a few times to myself to get that get that down. And uh okay, so researchers also on the team to identify the lifestyle characteristics that might explain longevity. They found that the lifestyles of all blue zones residents share nine specific characteristics. They're called the power nine. We'll elaborate on the power nine below. In the next section I'll actually go down the list and explain them. So these are the five geographical areas of longevity, and they share traits and practices. Please note that these regions are spread out and are not clustered within one continent or even one hemisphere. They're all over the place. All right, first is Sardinia, Italy. Located off the coast of Italy, Sardinia is home to the world's longest-lived men. This community of shepherds walk five mountainous miles a day or more. This natural movement provides all the positive cardiovascular benefits you might expect and also has a positive effect on muscle and bone metabolism without the point pounding of running marathons. The classic Sardinian diet is plant-based, consisting of whole grain bread, beans, garden vegetables, and fruits. Meat is largely reserved for Sundays and special occasions. Sardinians drink wine moderately. Cannonau, C-A-N-N-O-N-A-U, type of wine, uh, wine has two or three times the level of artery-scrubbing flavonoids as other wines. Moderate wine consumption may help explain lower levels of stress among men. And just a quick note, I, I watched a couple minutes of a, not a documentary, but like an interview that he did, and they mentioned one of the things they do with the wine is that they pulverize the entire seeds, grape, skin, everything, instead of, you know, skinning it yep. off or only taking certain parts, they shove the whole damn grape in there. And this has something to do with why it's beneficial. So probably right. well, in wine most of this, you want to choose that. Because most of the stuff's in the skin, like it is in baked potatoes. Right. So eat your potato skins and eat thing. your grape skins. <laughs> yeah, the Greeks do the same thing when they're stomping the wines and grinding the grains. They use the whole grains and the whole skins and everything. They All, all of the Mediterranean countries do that. Gotcha. And and there is a, a town later on down the list uh, that is in Greece, and that's probably what's going on over there. Yeah. All right. So the next town is Okinawa. It's a prefecture in Japan. 
Home to the world's longest-lived women, these South Pacific islands offer many secrets to longevity. The Okinawa tradition of forming a moai, M-O-A-I, and that's how he pronounced it in the video. I don't know. My Japanese is not that good. (laughs) Provides secure social networks. These safety nets lend financial and emotional support in times of need and give the members the stress-shedding security of knowing there's always someone there for them. In Okinawa, at age five, children are put into these committed social networks. One specific moai that Dan discovered had been together for 97 years. The average age of the group is 102. They meet every day to drink sake and gossip. If one of them does not show up, the other four put on their kimonos, walk across the village, and check on their friend. Okinawans also attribute their longevity to the old Confucian mantra said before meals. Uh, Hara Hashibu, it's H-A-R-A space H-A-C-H-I space B-U, which reminds them to stop eating when 80% full so they do not overeat. They also have a strong sense of purpose in their family. One centenarian, centenarian pardon, uh, described the feeling of holding her great-great-great-grandchild as, quote, jumping into heaven. And yes, three greats. That's exactly what I said. Next up is Loma Linda, California. So this particular community is Seventh-day Adventist heavy, and they outlive the average American by a decade. Taking their diet directly from the Bible, they consume a vegan diet of leafy greens, nuts, and legumes. They recognize the Sabbath and downshift for 24 hours every week. Many of the Adventists are still very active into their late 90s. Dr. Ellsworth Wareham, who is 95 years old, was told that a contractor wanted $6,000 to build a privacy fence in his yard. Instead of paying the contractor, he decided to do it himself. It was kind of smacks of Jimmy Carter having brain cancer and building Habitat for Humanity stuff for people when he was like 94. That totally uh-huh. sounds like him. <laughs> yep. So, yep. Um, after three days of work, um, Dr. Wareham ended up in the hospital, but Ellsworth was not on the table. He was the surgeon performing open-heart surgery, one of 20 he performed that month. Similarly, Marge Jutton, age 105, woke up every morning at 5.30 in the morning, read her Bible, had a breakfast of slow-cooked oatmeal, nuts and dates with soy milk, and a prune juice shooter. She would then ride her stationary bike for 30 minutes and then get in her Cadillac and drive to her volunteer jobs for seven different organizations. Fourth is Nicoya in Costa Rica. Nicoyans spend 15% of what America does on health care and are more than twice as likely as Americans to reach a healthy age of 90 years. Faith and family play a strong role in Nicoyan culture. So does Plan de Vida, or Reason to Live, which helps Nicoyan elders maintain a positive outlook and active lifestyle. Nicoyans eat little to no processed foods, but plenty of antioxidant-rich tropical fruit. But they also have one unique secret. And and this seems to be specific to them and not the other cities, but that's okay. It's fine. Um, Calcium and magnesium-rich water which wards off heart disease and promotes strong bones. And there's no reason you can't get sources of other calcium and magnesium, but the water does help. 
Well, and I'll tell you a great source for good. that is uh, sea vegetables. Oh, okay. So which we most, which Americans usually call seaweed, but most dietitians and nutritionists call them sea vegetables because seaweed has this kind of like negative uh, connotation, and every one of the various sea vegetables uh, has different. Uh, properties, but amongst them, they have a lot of magnesium and calcium in them and really, really help. So it's whether you're doing uh, arame or adults or kombu or nori or shisu or yumabosi or, uh, or excuse me, yumabashi or wakame, they all have different iron and magnesium and stuff, and they're all really, really great for you. Got it. Okay. But you got to know how that to fix them, sense. otherwise they taste like ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't been a fan in the past because they're bitter, but I guess if you figure out the secret, it works out. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. So last but certainly not least, um, now, Dr. Mathis, you, if you would, what is the proper way to pronounce I-K-A-R-I-A in Greece? Ikaria. Ikaria. Okay. So right. that is the fifth town. So, um, well, it's an island, technically. Yes, yeah, an island um, Yes. Uh, people on this tiny Aegean island live eight years longer than Americans do. And you have to realize this is an average, and that's fine. They experience 20% less cancer, half the rate of heart disease, and almost no dementia. Icarians eat a, a variation of the Mediterranean diet with lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, beans, potatoes, and olive oil. Icarians who also downshift with a mid-afternoon break. I've seen this actually discussed on LinkedIn quite a bit with a lot of corporate Americans that I'm connected to on LinkedIn because some people have been posting articles about taking, you know, what amounts to a siesta. And yeah. it's really kind of sad and funny to watch how many typical corporate American culture people are like, no, you can't take a break during the day. And Western Europeans are going, bitch, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, I know. It's amazing how our culture thinks this is horrid, but a lot of places with better health records than ours think it's absolutely imperative, and we need to think yep, about yep. that. Yep, yep. So, so on this particular island, it's very, very popular. Uh, people who nap regularly have up to 35% lower chance of dying from heart disease. It may be because napping lowers stress hormones or rests the heart. Yeah, I, I do think that has quite a bit to do with it. One Icarian in particular, Stomatus Mor- Moratus? Moriatus? Yeah. Okay, yes, what Dr. Metha said. <laughs> As the president <laughs> yeah, what of the Greek panel, <laughs> moved to That's America to when me. he was two. Yes, it, and it should be. He moved to America <laughs> when he was 22 to pursue the American dream. He was a painter and immediately started having success, bought a house, married, and had three kids. At the age of 66, he developed terminal lung cancer. Instead of dying in America, he decided to move back to Ikaria and moved in with his parents. He started breathing the air, drinking the wine, and eating a Mediterranean diet. After a few months, he planted a garden, not planning on ever getting to harvest the vegetables. 37 years later after this, he has a vineyard producing 200 liters of... Is that liters of wine a year? That seems wrong. What does the L no. stand for? No, that's correct. It is correct. That's okay. so He's got, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big vineyard. Okay. All right. Now I understand. 
He doesn't drink that much. He produces that much. Oh, no, no, no. No, he puts out that much. I'm, <laughs> I'm quite sure he doesn't drink all of it himself. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's got a vineyard producing 200 liters of wine a year. And his secret, he says, quote, I just forgot to die. <laughs> well, you know, there's so, another, there's a person who has a similar study here in this country. Um, many of our listeners may or may not be familiar with Christina Pirelli. Uh, who's obviously of Italian heritage, and she was here uh, in this country and got diagnosed, I think, it, in her late 20s uh, of some kind of terminal uh, cancerous disease. And they basically said, get your uh, affairs in order. You've got about a year. And she, of course, had a freak attack, and she was dating uh, Pirelli. Uh, her, her maiden name is Pirelli, but she is of Italian descent. Uh, was dating uh Robert Pirelli, who was a big foodie and health nut and yada yada, and introduced her to, to uh, you know, the, veg- the vegan vegetarian diet and gave her some stuff to, to read about. And anyway, the, the long, the short version of this very long story is something like, uh, you know, 35, 38 years later, she does a weekly TV show called uh, Back to the Cutting Board and has several very successful food books that I just love. Uh, and she's a real who has a great sense of humor, very sarcastic, but I love it. And uh, same story, <laughs> healed, herself, healed herself with, with nothing but food. And, you know, we're, we're back to that again. And that's why we're talking about this. Yes. Okay. So that fits right in there. Yeah. Um, in the next section, we will talk about what these regions have in common and other recommendations for lifestyle changes to promote longevity through the factors that are in our control. And with this, I'm going to pause and check in with you, Dr. Mathis, see if there's anything that you want to add before we go on. No, but let's hit the big ones. That's what she said. No, that's, yes. But up, bump. <laughs> All right, next, the structure and suggestions for life changes and why we would pursue these. So each of the Blue Zones has certain dietary, social, and mental health practices that appear to promote a longer and more fulfilled life, fulfilling lifespan. So first, let's explain the power nine that we mentioned above. To make it to age 100, it seems like a person must have to win the genetic lottery. And as we've already mentioned above, it's not that simple. Right. However, many individuals have the capacity to make it well into the early 90s and largely without chronic disease. Blue Zones uncovered nine evidence-based common denominators among the world's centenarians that are believed to slow this aging process. And this is them. First is move naturally. The world's longest-lived people do not pump iron, run marathons, or join gyms. Instead, they live in environments that constantly nudge them into moving without thinking about it. They grow gardens and do not have mechanical conveniences for house and yard work. Ergo, Sandpoint, Idaho. Um, I don't get the reference. That's where I bought the 94 acres of land on the side of a mountain. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah, exactly like (laughs) that. All right, the next one is purpose. The Okinawans call it ikigai, and the Nikoyans call it plondavida, but for both it translates to why I wake up in the morning. Knowing your sense of purpose is actually worth up to seven years of extra life expectancy. So, you know, basically you need something to get up for. 
And even if you kind of have to pull it out of your colon until you get it figured out. So the third is downshift. Even people in the blue zones experience stress. Stress leads to chronic inflammation associated with every major age-related disease. What the world's longest-lived people have that others do not are routines to shed that stress. Okinawans take a few moments each day to remember their ancestors. Adventists pray, Ikarians take a nap, and Sardinians do happy hour. <laughs> and incidentally, just because we mentioned Seventh-day Adventists or even praying, we're not necessarily advocating that an actual formal religion is the only way to do this. It's anything that gives you that sense of spiritual release, or if you don't believe in anything at all, but just something to clean your well-being and your sense of self in right. the world. Even right. if you take sanitize it. Take, yeah. yeah, take a time out and grind yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So you I don't do want anybody to... doing a mindfulness uh, exercise. Yes, yes. So, so don't read anything specific into that. It's whatever gives you that sense that feeling and you know it may be sanitized of deity that's fine if it's working for you all right the next one is 80 percent rule harahachibu the okinawan 2500 year old confucian mantra said before meals reminds them to stop eating when their stomachs are 80 percent full the 20 percent gap between not being hungry and feeling full could be the difference between losing weight or gaining it People in the blue zones eat their smallest meal in the late afternoon or early evening, and then they do not eat any more the rest of the day. Uh, this one I found especially interesting because a, a person from our mutual group of friends down in Atlanta once told Mark, my spouse, this big lecture about, like, you eat breakfast like a king, and then, you know, the mi- middle of the day is middle, and then evening you eat dinner like a pauper. And a lot of people yeah. in America find that super strange, but that's a version of what they just said right here. So yeah, we've got that's a exactly right. Well, because you're most active during the day. That's when you need the most yeah. nutrition. That's when you need the most calories at night. Most of us are sitting on their assets playing video games or watching TV or playing guitar or whatever, you know. Exactly. And, and you're breaking a fast. You know, you don't want to... Break your fast with a cracker. <laughs> All right. That, does, that doesn't set you up to power through your day very well. Um, the next one is what they, this is cute. It's called Plant Plant. So they have a little T-shirt slogan for that. It, beans, including fava, black, soy, and lentils, are the cornerstone of most centenarian diets. Meat, mostly pork, is eaten on average only five times per month. Serving sizes are three or four ounces, about the size of a deck of cards. Um, you know, you can. it doesn't have to be pork. That is popular in most of these places. But just, you know, meat, uh, you know, a little slab on your hand once a week uh, is, is pretty much what they do here. Next one is wine at five. <laughs> I, it doesn't necessarily have to be rigidly at five. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, have a little happy hour. So people in all blue zones, except the Seventh-day Adventists, because they're teetotalers, um, drink alcohol moderately and regularly. Moderate drinkers outlive non-drinkers. The trick is to drink one to two glasses per day, preferably Sardinian Canada wine, but uh, with friends and or with food. 
And no, you cannot save up all week and have 14 drinks on Saturday. That defeats the entire point. <laughs> darn it. <laughs> oh, shucky darn. So number seven is Belong. So all but five of the 263 centenarians interviewed belong to some faith-based community. Again, does not have to be religion if you would prefer something that is devoid of that. But you need that sense of community and belonging. Mm-hmm. And, Connectedness. Uh, yeah. Yes. They said denomination does not seem to matter, and, and it doesn't. It's what it does for you. Research right. shows that attending faith-based services four times a month will add between four to 14 years of life expectancy for a variety of reasons. Number eight is loved ones first. Successful centenarians in the Blue Zones put their families first. This means keeping aging parents and grandparents nearby or in the home, lowers disease and mortality rates of children in the home as well. They commit to a life partner, which can add up to three years of life expectancy. And we're not slamming anybody who's into poly or doesn't even want a relationship. But the science remains that people who do these things and the emotions it evokes do have a longer life expectancy. If you can derive that a different way or different dynamic, that's fine. Yeah, Um, there's a a movement to look at uh, folks who do this with pets as opposed to humans. Interesting. So is just and I like, suspect you know, they're going to see similar. They're going to see similar studies. Yeah, people I think they're going to find similar. Have yeah, I do uh-huh. too. Yeah. I, I expect that to come out how we're implying it. Well, yeah. Um, also, okay, the commit to a life partner, which I mentioned, uh, that can add up to three years of life expectancy. So you know, right now you're getting close to twenty with all these things you could be doing. Um, and invest in their children with time and love. They'll be more likely to care for aging parents when the time comes. And then number nine is right tribe. The world's longest lived people choose or were born into, it kind of depends on where you are, social circles that supported healthy behaviors. Um, That's why the Okinawans created the Moais, uh, groups of five friends that committed to each other for life. You're, You're assigned to one and you stay with this. Now, remember that a lot of these areas, people don't go far from home, and we're going to talk about that shortly as well. So research from the Framingham studies show that uh, smoking, obesity, happiness, and even loneliness are all contagious. You know, not in a biochemical way, but... No, you're role modeling behavior. Yeah, these are acts of habit, and they're social acts. That's why a lot of people trying to quit smoking don't want to go to a bar because they're fine until their buddy is smoking. And you don't have to smell it. It's just the communal activity. You're belonging, and you're socializing, doing a bad thing. So it's harder to And it's to a classical conditioning paradigm. It's Pavlov's dog. Yes, exactly. So the social networks of long-lived people have favorably shaped their health behaviors. So, in other words, pick people that are going to lift you up into being the person that you want. You know, that's who you should hang with. And here are additional ways the researchers evaluated these communities. So, these are uh, metrics that they were using to measure quality of life. So, you know, it's one thing to be 100, but if you're just like, kill me now, that's not something to strive for. So, one metric is uh, medical uh, traits. 
Obesity and diabetes are running rampant in the United States. Currently, the culture is focused on adhering to different diets and exercise programs. Uh, and they mean the, the, um, the uh, Blue Zones culture. Um, it has been found that these are not sustainable changes um, for when Americans try to do some of these things. When, within the first seven months of a diet, more than 90% of individuals will have given up. This is why we have so many damn diets, and they're all different, and people flunk most of them. It's not the diet. So I mean, if a diet's gross, find another diet, but there's just some general principles. What you need is a support system that will help you keep going when it sucks and so you can get over the hump and then it doesn't bother you and you don't quit. So there's a similar decline when it comes to adherence to gym memberships. After just two years, the number of attendees will have dropped by 70%. It's clear that there's no quick fix, but there must be small changes to the environment to see long-lasting health changes. The other metric is life radius, and this is what I was talking about a minute ago. So research shows that individuals spend about 90% of their lives within five miles of their home, known as the life radius, seen here in figure two. That's probably changing a little bit in the last couple decades because people travel regionally a lot more than they used to, but in general. to engineer an environment where longevity ensues, Blue Zones worked with researchers to create a blueprint to optimize the life radius. But your social circle, your bubble, a lot of people call it now in pop culture. The team started by analyzing what individuals can do for themselves. Individuals can engineer their kitchen so they eat about 100 fewer calories and engineer their homes so they burn a couple extra 100 calories through physical activity. This is done through small changes such as putting a bowl of fruit on the counter, serving food at the stove and not on the table, using hand tools for yard work, and many more. In every community, 80% of people want to change their health habits. By creating social networks of these health-conscious people, it encourages healthy living and gives people a sense of purpose. Then the researchers looked at places within the life radius. There are 115 evidence-based design tweaks and policies that can be put into place so that when people show up to school, work, church, the store, a restaurant, they are mindlessly nudged to eat less and move more. These tweaks include things like standing desks at work, removal of vending machines in schools, no bread baskets at restaurants, safe walking paths, and encouraging moais. According to the CDC, the best investment in health is through policy. By creating environments where fruits and vegetables are most accessible over fast food, a dramatic decrease in obesity is seen. If there are six or more fast food restaurants within half a mile of an individual's home, they're 40% more likely to be obese than if there are less than three. By putting policies in place to limit the number of fast food restaurants and putting regulations on smoking, policymakers can see a drastic increase in health. If streets are walkable and bikeable, parks are cleaned up, and the average option, uh, the active option, pardon, is the easy option, physical activity of the entire population can rise by 30%. The next thing they want to talk about is a sixth city called Albert Lee, New, Mex- New Mexico. It's L-E-A, two words. It's probably named after someone, although I don't know who Albert Lee is. 
So in 2008, Dan and the Blue Zones team finalized the blueprint for Life Radius. They had to make sure it could be applied to an American setting. Butner and his team interviewed five cities to be the pilot project, and they picked Albert Lee. Oh, excuse me. At one point they say NM, and then other places they say MN, and I don't know which one's correct. It must be Minnesota. So I guess the other one is wrong because it mentions University of Minnesota later in the article. So yeah, my that, bad. That's, yeah, it's Minnesota. That's correct. Right. Okay. So ignore the part about New Mexico. That's not it. Um, so this was a town of 9,000 people, and they're the ones that won to be the next pilot. The team first went in and listened to the organizations to find out what they needed. They brought in Dan Burton, who works with communities across the country, to create more walkable environments. Albert Lee wanted to widen Main Street and up the speed limit. Blue Zones convinced them to build a walking path around their lake instead. The path is now packed 11 months out of the year with individuals walking the sidewalks throughout the community. Oh, with individuals walking, pardon, there's a period there. The sidewalks throughout the community were connected so people could walk from their homes to downtown without having to walk through fields or busy intersections. Grocery store and restaurant pledges were created to help individuals change the way they eat. Restaurants were required to offer three plant-based entrees. When a sandwich was ordered, the customer automatically got fruit instead of fries. By using different adjectives rather than the healthy choice, individuals were more likely to choose the best option. Grocery stores created healthy checkout aisles so that instead of candy bars and soda greeting people in the checkout, they saw fruit, water, and healthy snacks. Schools signed Blue Zone pledges. They do not sell candy for fundraisers, and there was no candy for good grades. Based on a University of Minnesota study calculation that prohibited eating in hallways and classrooms would occasionally an 11% per year drop in student body mass, their BMIs, even though it's a bit of a garbage metric, but it was still a drop in it, which is notable. Um, the project convinced schools to adopt the policy. Then 25% of the community signed a personal pledge that they would take steps towards a healthy lifestyle. After about a year, of a year and a half of running the new program, there was a 3.2-year bump in life expectancy. The community lost a combined weight of 7,280 pounds, and healthcare costs dropped by 40%. Blue Zones expansion. After seeing the results in Albert Lee, Blue Zones began interviewing larger cities to take on. The beach cities of Los Angeles were chosen. Blue Zones work with city planners to make the streets built for humans instead of cars. The rate of smoking went down by 30%, BMI went down by 14%, and people reported healthy behaviors. From there, Blue Zones moved into Iowa with the same strategy. Ten cities were chosen. Smoking went down by 8.8%, and healthy eating went up by 10%. Then Blue Zones started working in Fort Worth, Texas, and Kauai, Hawaii, and are now in 27 cities across the United States. I guess they're ongoing trying to elevate these cities. I guess it's an ongoing project at this point. So in summary, Blue Zones started as a way of discovering the healthiest lifestyles that lead to vitality and longevity. Now, 12 years after the start of this massive project, Blue Zones is a way to design the healthiest lifestyles possible for individuals and for entire communities. The goal for Blue Zones is to not only make the healthy choice the easy choice, but also the unavoidable choice. And 
please note, remember that despite some of the phrasing in this material and the strong ties of the movement to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, again, to be really clear, we do respect each person's right to choose what does or does not work in their life choices. We're just reporting that statistically, regions that follow these suggestions, even those, have a marked increase in life expectancy, physical and, and mental health. So we're discussing one path to a healthy, healthy lifestyle, that's all. If you find alternatives that work the same way, it's good. And with this, I'm going to pause and talk to Dr. Mathis real quick, and then we'll go on to the next section. Uh, I'm going to save my comments uh, when I rebut the so-called physician. Oh, that's the section we're getting to now. I do have a rebuttal of my own uh, right before the end, just in case you want to jump on and pile on. <laughs> Okay, I can do that. Yeah, so counterpoint and critiques and what parts matter. The most notable notable rebuttal to the Blue Zones theory is an article from 2021. And the article is Blue Zones Diet, Speculation Based on Misinformation. The Blue Zones where people live longer may be a myth. The Blue Zone Diet is based on speculation, not solid science. And this is all part of the title of the paper by uh, Dr. Harriet Hall, Uh, October 2021, on the site Science-Based Medicine. Harriet Hall, MD, also known as a skeptic, as in skeptic doctor, is a retired family physician who writes about pseudoscience and questionable medical practices. She was also an Air Force doc of many years and retired as a colonel. I just wanted you guys to know it's not just, you know, some chick in a magazine. She actually does have some street cred. Um, Okay, and this is what she says. The so-called blue zones are geographical locations where people are said to live longer than elsewhere. These include Sardinia, Okinawa, Loma Linda, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, and Icaria, France, Greece. Excuse me. Um, they have been studied looking for common factors that might promote longevity. Some of the common factors, these are people who live in tight-knit communities. They eat well following a Mediterranean or plant-based diet. They don't over-exercise, but they have a busy domestic life with energetic chores. The Blue Zone diet assumes that common dietary factors have been identified and that following the diet will make us live longer. That appears to be a false assumption based on speculation, misinformation, and wishful thinking, not on science. Again, this is according to Dr. Hall. Um, Blue Zones may be a myth. Uh, This is the part of her critique that I think has some minor merit, but let's not worry about that rabbit hole very much. Um, the claims of longevity to, in those locations may be bra- based on fraud and error. Record keeping has been deficient in many of those areas. Systematic verification of age has been practiced only recently and only in some parts of the world. People may be confused with parents and grandparents who have the same name. People can misremember. People can lie. The longest verified lifespan was that of uh, Jean Calment of France, who died at age 122. Loma Linda has a longer than average lifespan, and this has been attributed to the large population of Seventh-day Adventists with a healthy lifestyle, but it might be just due to the fact that people who are richer tend to live longer, and I have news for you, the people in Seventh-day Adventist Church are not necessarily all rich. Um, If you live in California, that's a bigger indicator but then it should be true all up and down the coast. Similar longevity may be found in other well-to-do locations. There have been no good studies to rule out possible confounders. The Okinawa claim is now disputed. That's the one that's supposed to have the uh, oldest men. 
Um, overall, Japan has the highest life expectancy of any country, but recent data shows that men in Okinawa don't live as long as men in other Japanese pre- prefectures. A recent commentary in the journal Gerontology pointed out that, quote, current demographic and nutritional data suggest that the remarkable Okinawan longevity is now a phenomenon of the past. And I'm just going to make this one comment that I was going to make later right now while it's right in front of it. All of this might even be true, and it might be a valid complaint, but you can clearly still see that these people are well into, let's say, their 70s and 80s, which, frankly, if you look at the American lifespan, is over a decade or more higher than ours. So even if the math is a little off, they're clearly older than us by quite a bit. So they're doing something that's working. All right, back to the article. How could there be one Blue Zones diet? Obviously, the diet of an Okinawan in Japan is markedly different from the diet of a Seventh-day Adventist in Loma Linda, California. I don't consider that obvious. Uh, The idea of a Blue Zone diet doesn't make any sense. But they thought they could identify enough common factors to devise a diet and lifestyle that would reveal the secret of longevity. Uh, Apparently, the secret to longevity is there is no secret. (laughs) The Blue Zone Diet, and she's the only one that calls it that. They don't actually call it the Blue Zone Diet. They have written a book, but that's not the point of the program. The Blue Zone Diet essentially repeats much of the conventional advice for a healthy diet, a diet similar to the Mediterranean diet with whole grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes, seeds, and spices with meat consumed sporadically, mainly fish and lean meat, olive oils preferable to butter, meat limited to two-ounce servings twice a week, from free-range animals, pardon my hiccups, avoid processed foods, up to three ounces of fish daily, that's a meat. (laughs) I I realize dietarily some people count it as something else, but uh, I got to fuss about that. Avoid farmed fish, overfished species, and fish with high levels of mercury, PCBs, and other chemicals. So like salmon, unfortunately, we're looking at you a little bit, especially in this country. It's partly how we farm them. Um, minimize dairy, no more than three eggs per week, at least half a cup of beans daily, slash sugar, no more than seven added teaspoons a day, and I'm not even sure this should be teaspoons of regular sugar, just something else sweet, uh, you know, like honey or monk fruit or something. Um, snack on nuts, two handfuls a day. Replace common bread with sourdough or 100% whole wheat. Eat whole foods that are recognizable for what they are. Avoid foods wrapped in plastic and foods with more than five ingredients. Try to eat at least three, quote, super blue foods a day. These include beans, greens, sweet potatoes, nuts, olive oil, oats, barley, fruits, green or herbal teas, and turmeric. To drink coffee and tea are okay. Red wine in moderation. Avoid soda pop. To make it easy to remember, there are four always foods, quote, unquote. 100% whole wheat bread, nuts, beans, fruit. And there are four foods to always avoid, sugar-sweetened beverages, salty snacks, packaged sweets, and processed meats. Some of these guidelines are based on good science. Others have been questioned, for instance, the idea of superfoods. That is also true. Superfoods is kind of, we're not sure that's really a thing right now. Conclusion, according to her. Myth and speculation, not solid science. If you follow these Blue Zone guidelines, will you live longer? Maybe. We simply just don't know yet. Good controlled studies are lacking. That is her valid criticism. And time will tell. Humans live a long time, so the effect of this diet won't be measurable until many years have passed. 
In the absence of good data, I'd rather follow the advice of Craig Good, and that's his proper name, his book, which I reviewed last week, Relax, Relax and Enjoy Your Food, she's saying. But the title is Relax and Enjoy Your Food, Save Your Money, Your Health, and Your Sanity by Separating Fact from Flapdoodle. And that may be a valid book as well, but that's not what we're reviewing tonight. So here is my quick rebuttal to Dr. Hill. I know we're over time a little bit, but we'll be fine. Um, so my comment is she criticizes the lack of academic rigor via her own personal proclamations and opinions, not the vetted facts that she derides this theory for lacking. So her critique is ironic. She is a medical doctor, but the things she criticizes, she provides no scientific evidence for her points, mostly just snark. She does have some valid criticisms about the Blue Zone theory and it often presenting itself like an infomercial that's thin on receipts. And if you watch some of the videos with the guys who did it, they, they really do kind of come off like a Dr. Oz commercial. That's true. Uh, it's a valid disc. But we present this tonight for the commonalities that Dr. Hill even admits it shares with many other respected and perhaps better vetted dietary plans, which is exactly the content we wanted our listeners to take away from the discussion. Again, we recognize that this is not in the realm of our usual empirical standards and ask everyone to kindly focus on the suggestions, as there have been many studies showing at least they work. And with that, I'm going to let Dr. Mathis rant a little bit. So put up your heat shields and let's go. <laughs> so first of all, um, <clears throat> she's completely ignorant of all the data that says this is completely true in terms of healthy lifestyle stuff. She's obviously not familiar with her own colleagues, the Campbells and the Esselsteins, the China diet and the, all the proliferated things that come from that, which have ridiculous amounts of supporting data. And let's think about what she really is. She's nicknamed the skeptic doctor for skeptic. I call her the schlep doctor because, let's face it, she's a physician. Most physicians get zero training in nutrition. Let's just be honest, people. They, don't, they know less than you training. They know less about nutrition than chiropractors do. And I'm not being nasty. I'm telling you the absolute facts. They know less than nutritionists and dietitians do. Why is that? What do they have to gain by people being sick? Oh, right, making money for the medical profession. Let's be honest, people. Okay? Get off your, get your blinders off. Uh, and she worked for the freaking government. She's a retired military. Hello? She's part of the problem. Everybody knows I'm highly anti-government in every form possible. So I, I will I will say that as a disclaimer out, out, out of my window for people who don't know. But, you know, what do they have to gain by keeping people sick? They can put morons in office, and I'm not talking about people in office now. I'm talking about the last 30 or 40 years. I'm an equal opportunity bigot. I hate them all. Um, <laughs> I'm not talking about Biden or Trump or any of the recent ones. I'm talking about all of them. You know, they can manipulate people and do what they want. She's part of the military and she's part of the uh, medical profession. Medical profession does not want you to get well. Now, they are physicians I love and I support and I think are brilliant, and I, I find them very, very appealing, and I refer my own patients to them when they get sick or when they need that. But in general, medical profession is not up on alternative medicine. They're not given that. The only physicians I know that know their cookies about nutrition are the holistic medicines. Right, the holistic uh, people who are trained in the holistic medicine field, and there are very, very few of those universities, but those that are train their holistic physicians to do naturopathic stuff, and those folks are very up on the game, and they'll tell you the same thing that we've been talking about 
nutrition and dietary stuff that I talk about. And let's not forget that Campbell and Esselstyn are both physicians, traditional type physicians who went, this shit isn't working, let's figure out what does. So I think this woman has a lot of access to grind as part of the machine and as some people would say, the quote-unquote shadow government. I don't want to get into that. But what I do want to say is the institute is set up, the Institute of Government and Military, as far as I'm concerned, is set up to keep us dumb and stupid and quiet. And the easiest way to do that is to send us to a bunch of crappy attitudes in our food and keep us dumb and our arteries clogged and us sick and dying. And sorry, but that's how I really feel. And if you look at the evidence, taking all my, my raving and ranting out of it, if you just look at the evidence for the alternative medicine stuff, it is clearly supported. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. Now, the superfoods, there's a shoot ton of foods that are considered, quote-unquote, superfoods, and it depends on how you define superfoods, right? But yep. every, every real person who knows anything about diet and nutrition and exercise and all stuff will tell you the same stuff. Get rid of sugar, get rid of any and all meats except on rare occasions, only because it takes your body four to five days to get nutrition in any and all meats, including chicken, seafood, bison, cow, whatever. And if you're going to eat meat, eat the so-called organic you know, farm-raised or uh, wild-caught seafood. Don't get the stuff that's farm-raised unless it's certified non-GMO because they feed the fish crap just like they do the ducks and the chickens and the cows and the pigs, and the farms aren't GMO. So be smart about it. That, you know, that just be really, really smart. Eating less is always a good thing. And moderate exercise, predominantly cardio. Is, I mean, we have years of research to show that. This is not pseudoscience. This is science science. This is a woman who I think has been paid and bought out, frankly. And she has a history of being a naysayer on just about everything. So that's my uh, 14 cents and my probably more information than some of our readers and probably more opinions than our readers wanted to, uh, listeners wanted to hear. And so for those who feel uh, offended, I apologize. But open your eyes, people. Learn what's going on, really going on when they talk about this stuff. And do yourself a favor and do your own research. Read the Campbell and Campbell studies. It's father and son team. Read the Esselstein, the Rod Esselstein stuff, and his father, who's the physician that's buddies with Campbell. You know, the, the fire engine diet. And I, it's real science. It's not BS. That, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. And so, and well, and the thing I pointed out earlier, you know, she even confirms in her findings that these have a lot in common with better vetted studies. And I think it's valid to fuss that the science wasn't very good, but the results are, are still working. Just copy off someone else's homework. Uh, you know, yeah. the studies are there. They're just not with this guy. He didn't do his homework, but the guy down the street did. So, you know, yeah. this is all fun. And honestly, go. with that, I think we've covered a lot of what we were going to say in the next section anyway. The, I mean, is there anything else that you wanted to get into that we hadn't? No, I've probably said too much already, so I'm going to shut my mouth for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, that's that's all fine. You know, just uh, on behalf of myself, Dr. Mathis, and NDB Media, we want to thank our listeners this evening and give our appreciation to those of you who may be joining later via podcast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, and I love that that list is so long. I have to take a breath. <laughs> so we'll see you guys in two weeks with a new topic for discussion on Wednesday, July 6th. 11 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Blog Talk Radio. 
And we want to give a shout-out to our other MDB media shows that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. Tomorrow night, Travel Itch Radio uh, usually follows us. Thursday, the 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So it may be the most remote and least visited national park in the United States. Well, there's some place good to start your, your hiking adventures. Um, it's certainly one of the hardest to access since it consists entirely of islands off the coast of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Youpers! I have a friend who lives there. <laughs> now, thanks to Travel Edge Radio, this Lake Superior Park will get the exposure it deserves. Open only April through October, Isle Royale National Park is actually part of Kawinaw County. Hear all about it when Brad Barnett of the Kawinaw Tourism Bureau visits the show for a live half-hour interview with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. That's tomorrow night, guys. Uh, Saturday is Sports Talk with the Guys, Saturday morning extravaganza, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. The Monday morning quarterbacks are live on Saturday morning, and they are on StreamYard. So check the NDB media page on Facebook for the links and times. Um, Going ahead a little bit, the end of the summer, Sunday the 14th of August, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tales of the Walking Dead online viewing party. Season 1, Episode 1 series will premiere. Uh, official AMC synopsis, of course, is TBA. It's too early. But hope you will join us at the end of the summer for that because I'm hosting. Uh, Monday Night in America with Roger Noriega. This coming Monday, 10 p.m., Roger D. Noriega brings you his unique take on politics, current events, entertainment, sci-fi, and history. Currently also hosted on StreamYard, which reminds me, actually, uh, Dr. Mathis, off the air at some point later, not tonight, uh, you and I need to discuss that Roger would like uh, to do an interview for us, uh, you know, for our show, but I know that you're moving at the end of the summer, end of fall, somewhere in there. So we, we'll talk about that later, but I didn't want to forget now that I'm mentioning it because Roger asked me if you'd still do it. Um, you don't have to answer now. I'm just letting you know. Um, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Phantom Access Week in Review. Join the TV tantrum of Jamie, Karen, and AJ as they tackle another night of TV. Uh, recent hot takes include Stranger Things, Ms. Marvel, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So please look for the Rock and Roll Shrink on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, on Spotify, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and on the web at www.rockandrollshrink.com. Good night, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you next time. So rock on. Good night. Thank <laughs> you.